Welcome to the Insight Podcast. In today's episode, we're gonna chat with the amazing members of the IT team from San Diego County Office of Education. We'll learn about their project management approach and focus specifically on the topic of multi-factor authentication. I want to welcome John Cusack, Perry Herrera, and Ali Marufi, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, glad to be here. So before we dive into our questions, we always open our show getting to know a little bit about you. This will come from learning about your quirks or preferences through a few fun questions. So before we get into the main part of the show, a few either or questions. I'm going to open with peanut butter and jelly or bacon, lettuce, and tomato. And why don't we start with John? I'm going to go with BLT. Can't beat that. Excellent. Perry? I'm going to take the other classic, PB&J. I mean, since childhood, and it's just comfort food, and it's easy, anytime. Have you tried it on a panini maker? That's my new fave with the Okay, all right. I'm going to take that away and try that out. (laughs) Excellent. And Ali? Peanut butter and jelly. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. We're we're now best friends. Uh, Jamal, what about you? I love peanut butter and jelly with chunky peanut butter, but bacon, you can't go wrong with bacon. So BLT, uh, that'll be my choice. Excellent. All right. Next one. This is about your ear comfort preferences. So over ear headphones or earbuds? Perry, why don't you start? Okay. If it's outside of work, it's definitely in ear. I can cruise around and go to the gym and go on walks, but at work, definitely over the ear is my comfort level. John, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go over ear. I've got uh, some noise canceling headphones and uh, they're just delightful. And you know, they're, they're perfect around the house too. <laughs> There's a lot we could read into that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, what about you? I'm same as Perry. At work, I like to use the overhead, but when I walk, I, I used to use, I, uh, I like to use the earbuds. Jamal? Uh, when I was younger, you probably want to show off your Beats headphones uh, over the ears. But now that I finally had some earbuds that actually fit my ear, I, I prefer these much more. Yeah, I definitely waver back and forth at work. I always have the over ear on and I love the noise canceling for plane rides or travel, just as, as John said, a delight. It just, for some reason, when you, when I put those on and you're traveling, it's almost like a calming breath. You just, everything fades and it's wonderful. Okay. Last, last one. And this one's specifically for the work that you guys do. And I'm open to you proposing a different program. What do you gravitate more towards Asana or Trello? Perry, you want to start? Sure. I've used Asana and Trello. And in my personal life, I would say Trello. At work, we happen to use Monday.com. And mm-hmm. I'm also uh, I'm also a fan of good old fashioned sticky notes on the piece on my <laughs> my board next to me. I'll go old school on that too. Love that. Ali? I haven't used them, so I have to go with Monday.com. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> and John? Monday.com as well. If I need to do any scheduling at home, it's just with the calendar and keep it simple. Yeah, my team, they use Trello and Basecamp. Uh, we're looking at mm. ClickUp right now, so I'll just say Trello right now. That's great. I use Asana with my team. I just love the ability to roll uh, projects forward and, and copy things over. But when I'm working with student teams, Trello seems really accessible for them. Mm. So like, yeah, it's kind of choosing based on the user. Great. Well, thank you so much for playing our kind of open and get to know you session. And now, you know, our series of questions should be really fun to get to know your work, get to know your projects and learn more about how you are solving the world's most important problems (laughs) through the work that you do. 
So to get started, let's get to know each of you. Can you please share your roles at the San Diego Office of Education and how you came to these positions? I'll go first. I'm John Cusack, Senior Director, Infrastructure and Operations. Uh, I've, I've been with the San Diego County Office of Education for almost 24 years. Uh, I started my career here as a network analyst, and after about two years, earned the uh, network manager position. Uh, my responsibilities over time have included the oversight of our help desk, our web programming department, our mainframe communications unit, data center, and cybersecurity departments. It's been just uh, increasing levels of responsibility thrown at me as uh, as I've progressed my career here. John, do you want to also throw in what's about to occur in a few more days? I won't be doing any of that anymore. I'll be retiring at the end of June. Oh, congratulations. Lucky me. Thanks. (laughs) I can go next. My name is Perry Herrera, and I've got 26 years of experience in K-12 education. I currently serve as the senior director of the EPMO, the Enterprise Project Management Office at the San Diego County Office of Education. And I've been here for 10 years. Um, I've held a few roles here, but my, my career has had, like many people, kind of a windy path. It wasn't this direct shot. So I was initially a classroom teacher, and then I was a project resource teacher, which happened to be in an IT department for San Diego Unified School District, then became a program manager of IT for San Diego Unified. And then when I joined the County Office of Education here as an SIS manager, and then when we started to roll out uh, PeopleSoft ERP to our entire county, I was overseeing our customer resource center. And then over the last three years, I've moved into this role in our project management office. But ultimately, I think for me, what led me to all of these positions is an interest in people, data, and ideas. And I think all of those, my my natural interest in those have gravitated me towards these types of positions and roles. And um, I also have this, this interest and passion in analysis, design, and evaluation. And I think all of that really ties into this type of work as well. My name is Ali Marufi, and I started with the San Diego County Office of Education 25 years ago as a student worker while Mm -hmm. I was in school. After I finished school, I joined the application team, uh, and I was in that role for 15 years. While I was a programmer, my CTO and I realized the need for securing our applications. That led to creating the cybersecurity team. Uh, My title now is cybersecurity officer, and I manage the SDCOE cybersecurity team. That's that's good to hear. I guess, can you just share, because it's very very interesting, just how you guys all interconnect. Can you tell us about your dynamic and what your work typically entails? Well, sure. Let me start with that. Perry and I are are members of our uh, division, the Integrated Technology Services Division uh, leadership team. And uh, this team, led by Terry Loftus, our assistant superintendent, an executive director, and two other senior directors, we all strive to ensure that the collective work of our division supports and enhances uh, the goals of both our board of trustees and our division. We're committed to supporting each other's work. We all work in tandem. Uh, We listen to and respond to feedback from the division at large. As things go in K-12 organizations, things shift, sometimes from above, either through board actions or decisions of the superintendent or just the pressing needs from other divisions. We work together to just hash it out and come up with the best solutions and processes possible. Um, For me personally, I I have the pleasure of leading the information operations teams. And we provide the data center and cloud services, network support, Office 365 administration, and cybersecurity services. 
We handle the network connectivity for 41 school districts and charter schools in the county, 28 of our own remote sites supporting our juvenile court community school programs. Um, we offer co-location services in our data center uh, for different county LEAs and uh, various infrastructure support for our divisions, uh, many service offerings. Ali, uh, you know, as, a, as a developer, he can testify to many of the, the sites and, and applications we've produced. And um, I'll, I'll let Ali share a little bit more about the workings of cybersecurity. So cybersecurity team uh, consists of three analysts and me. Uh, our daily work starts with monitoring our system, such as uh, Microsoft Defender and compliance, Microsoft compliance. In addition to monitoring, we engage our staff in cybersecurity awareness training. We put a lot of emphasis on that. We normally get anywhere from five to 10 requests from our users to identify if the email that they received is legit, legitimate or it's a phishing email. We also closely work with other units, such as help desk, cloud services, and network uh, to implement cybersecurity-related solutions and policies. Uh, we pay close attention to vulnerabilities and patch them as soon as possible. And we regularly scan our network and mitigate the vulnerabilities. That's a quarterly schedule that we do. And we're right now, we're currently implementing CIS controls, the Center for Information Security, which uh, one of the items in there, uh, one of the subsection is MFA, multi-factor uh, authentication. How did you build the culture of getting your users to submit the phishing emails to you or things that they were worried about? Training. <laughs> Multiple years of training, seriously. Uh, we mm -hmm. put a lot of emphasis on that. Mm -hmm. And we use phishing simulation, red mm -hmm. herring, that mm -hmm. uh, our application department has developed. We regularly send those. And once a year, we have a month-long engagement with them in October, cybersecurity month. We give them prizes and all sort of fun activities. And that has get them involved in uh, identifying and reporting it to us. We've also worked closely with our human resources department in conjunction with cybersecurity month in October is the uh, annual sort of employee test that we provide. And so it's it's just the cybersecurity review. All the, all the staff are required to go through the training, answer some questions, similar to the mandated reporter training and, and harassment trainings that, that others have to go through. Uh, our HR department and our bargaining units agreed to, uh, to, to do cybersecurity training as a mandate as well. So the EPMO is actually a relatively new department within our ITS division. We're about three years old now. When Terry came into our organization, he was excited about all of the initiatives and projects that were going on. But one thing he was challenged by was the visibility on the projects. And we were realizing that we were having some problems with our projects. Some would start and stop, start and stop. Others would just go forever and never end. And some just completely died on the vine. So with that, it, it was really Terry who helped create the EPMO with the vision that we would come up with a simple methodology that was easy for all of us to use and effective, standardized, and then offer us the transparency and the project success that we were looking for. That's really what my team was doing for its first two years is just getting stood up. And it all happened with the pandemic 
our first big project actually, and was working with John's team, was to roll out Microsoft Teams. So that's an example of how we've we've interfaced and, and worked together. But my department does support all of the other aspects and areas of our ITS division. And we provide services as far as project management, consultations, and, and education program. So that's a little bit about how we work together. And basically what we've started to see is happier teams, projects that are ending on time, projects that are staying within scope and not you know, trickling out into these things that never end, uh, mm-hmm. happier stakeholders and customers and employees because people now know what's going on in a timely fashion and know what to expect. So there's there have been a lot of great outcomes. I wouldn't say that we're at the end of our journey of project management. We're definitely still evolving, but I'm really proud of of where we've come and, and where we're going with it. So I assume Monday.com assists basically in that communication and getting it to the various sections in your your, your team just to stay informed. And they feel of, of being a part of the team and being Basically, the communication, they enjoy that aspect of the communication, knowing what's going on with the various aspects of the project. Right. I think what we saw before was um, we all had different approaches on how to manage projects before. So there wasn't Mm. a standardized way. And with that came different uses of all sorts of software or no software to manage projects. So uh, one thing that we did was evaluated different you know, ways to manage projects through software. And we where we landed was monday.com. But one of the things that we really like about it is that it is allowing all team members, not just the person who's running the project, but anyone who serves on the project team can see how they fit into the entire project, where their tasks are in there and gives them the uh, ability to basically function better on the project. So I first learned of your team at the site conference this past November and... I shared with you that I have two pages of notes. I was furiously writing things down and learning (laughs) from you. It's always been a goal to have either a project approval form or just a process, something for our tiny little district to track. And I think the points you mentioned, Perry, is projects either get started, don't finish, go too long. We don't know they're actually in process. I learned about one on Monday for our high school about they're putting up a new marquee and that has (laughs) <laughs> kind of big kind of big impacts for the tech mm-hmm. department and it's exciting they're moving forward but they're yeah we we instantly got a project approval form in place with them and and we're going to pilot that and hopefully move forward to some greater success but it is it is daunting to think about how to get started so I was really encouraged by your story of of what you guys are working on and I know that the topic at that conference session was uh, multi-factor and how you launched it to all your users. But we are going to spend some time talking about that. But just first, like how are projects chosen? I'm I'm just curious about that. Uh, Maybe just how projects are submitted to your team or do you seek out issues that you try to solve for users? Tell me a little bit about that process. Mm -hmm. Currently, our office supports all of our ITS initiatives that support our business and our organization. So uh, our intake process really right now comes through our leadership team and Terry. So we we do meet, we discuss what the needs are, and it's important that everything is aligned to our board of education goals, our mission, and our own division goals. Um, but really what my team does is with that range of services we provide, we provide full project management support for those projects that are large scale. So it would be those that are more complex or have greater complexity, some that impact all staff, higher risk, higher cost. Those are the ones where we're coming in and helping from start to finish. And that could be you know, some of our larger projects that might be even multi-year. 
But where we get involved is definitely during the initiation phase where we're starting to think about what this project could be and then just get that jump start on the planning and dive into the planning process to, to get it going and then support that project all the way through closure. We've taken a lot of steps within our own division to train not only our managers, but also our, our staff to help them so they can run their own projects because it's not just these big ones that we've got going on. We've got dozens and dozens, small, medium, and large. So it's important that we all know how to do this. With My, my team has uh, four people total. So it's important that we spread the, the knowledge and help mm-hmm. other people. I think it's an incredible skill set that everybody should have access to is, is just how to think through the problem or project that's coming your way and, and how to manage it. I think that's amazing. I, I think one thing just to add on there is sometimes people just join a project midpoint because all of a sudden we discover we need a resource. Oh, you've got the talent, come join the project, but they're kind of left in the dark about what this is for. So really what we're trying to do also is get our arms around our resources and our plans and our vision, like it it all ties in together. And so it's been a great aid in helping all of us come together. And when I mentioned happier teams earlier, I think this is a big reason why it's, it's that communication and and knowing where we're going. Multi-factor is a huge concern and it's often brought up as a, a topic of discussion, even in our site regional meetings. And even for me coming on board, I was meeting with our insurer, like what do we need to have in place to ensure that we still have insurance? So what brought about you guys wanting, as far as San Diego COE, wanting to tackle this project? At its most basic element, we wanted to improve our overall security posture within the organization. It's been a long-term goal for us over the last few years to implement MFA in our systems, not just the insurance, uh, that that's certainly a catalyst, but the rising threats to K-12 and other public agencies um, uh, in, in the last few years were, were a ripe target. With the pandemic, uh, we were uh, you know almost 100% distributed telecommuting, and that brought elements of, okay, if, if your personal home network becomes compromised and then the, uh, the, you know, the agency owned, our, our own devices become compromised, uh, we, we would really have little control over that. So you know, once we got the Teams project for communication uh, completed, uh, we turned our attention immediately to MFA and rolled it out. Um, you know, and, and despite the size of the project, rolling it out to 1,300 staff members, mm-hmm. uh, you know, MFA is really one of the simplest and most effective and direct things that any organization can do to deter uh, credential compromise. So th- th- those were really the driving factors for us. And uh, I think Ali can present uh, uh, some information about some of the statistics that that we use to help drive the case uh, with our senior leadership and our cabinet level superintendent. Ali? Yes. According to Google and Microsoft, the MFA prevents 99% of automated automated attack. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge win, considering if you're looking at with the technology lens in MFA, it's the simplest thing to do. Just the technology part of it. I'm not talking about the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, 61% of data, data breaches um, involve the use of unauthorized credential. And this, this will prevent it. And, and a simple example that everyone almost knows about is that uh, colonial uh, pipeline ransomware. That yes. was this. Cyber crimes, 
now is up 600% thanks to COVID-19 pandemic. And MFA is the easy solution to prevent many attacks such as, you know, phishing, brute force, man in the middle and such. And um, it's also important to note that we cannot fully eliminate it. Uh, all we can do is to reduce it and, and medicate it. Do you feel as a result of the consistent awareness to your staff as far as the the need for cybersecurity that it was easy for you to justify the need to move forward with that project because they were kind of aware already of the ramifications of not being secure, not having MFA in place. Do you think that benefited your staff at all or your you guys at all? It definitely did, but I wouldn't say it, it was easy. We put a lot of thought in it mm-hmm. and we prepared our user ahead of time. A lot of communication. We used multiple techniques to get them ready. Okay. It, it was a consistent message, though, from our prior training, and we were able to leverage quite a bit of the previously built uh, cybersecurity in-house uh, training videos and materials that we had, and just uh, with slight adaptations, show the relevance to MFA. And so it was a familiar topic when they saw the same uh, or you know similar materials. So you've outlined a little bit about what the exact problem was you're trying to solve to you know increase security for the user accounts. What were the phases of the project, and was there an additional kind of problem statement that you had? As John mentioned, we wanted to improve the overall security posture of the organization. So we averaged approximately two account compromised per month, uh, which required a lot of staff time to, to mitigate it. Uh, ransomware uh, threat against K-12 were growing, and we had recently assisted some of LEAs in that regard and saw firsthand what the impact would be if we were uh, compromised, if we were hit. And as far as the phases, we split the a project up into multiple waves of deployment, IT managers, IT staff, SDCOE managers, and then the SDCOE classified and uh, certificated. And after that, we implemented MFA for limited term and part-time and substitute teacher. And the, the goal of the project really was to issue by mail one USB security key per permanent employee. That was what our target was. And please continue, Ali. I just wanted to interject that. No, no, no. Actually, I'm, 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 I'm going to uh, refer to you to go more into the details of the phases and all of that. Again, we had specific project management phases, which I'm going to refer to Perry to elaborate on that. If you Sounds will. good. Yeah. So, yeah, this project took about a year from start to finish. And just looking at our calendar, that first portion was all really around planning, the prep, the discovery, testing. A lot of it was spent where we weren't really interfacing with any of our employees yet because we just needed to get our arms around a lot of decision-making and the technical side of things. Once we were at the stage where we were had made the decisions and knew what we what, which solution we were going to use and, and some of our policies that we were going to establish, uh, a big part of our project was employee preparation. And like I said, we, we needed to mail things home to employees. So we needed to make some confirmations with employees around computer types and USB ports and addresses. 
Training and communication was a big part of this project to make sure that people understood what was happening and what they were going to get in the mail. Uh, and then ultimately, like like Ali said, we ended up having a phased approach. So we didn't do Big Bang. We we decided to leverage our own ITS division first. And with that, we actually started with our ITS managers. So our, our very first mini rollout was with about 50 people, but we tested the whole thing. Like, do the mailers get home? Are the instructions clear? And our goal with the managers first, that our effort there was to get the managers on board. So by the time we rolled out to the rest of our ITS division and to all of our staff, the managers could help support what was going on. They could talk about it because they'd already been using it for about a month. So we we found that that approach worked and that we called that phase one. Phase two then was we worked with all of our other managers outside of our division. And that was about 250 people. So we jumped from 100 to 250. So we didn't have to do nearly as much discovery or or prep or testing, but we still needed to have all of the engagement with the managers and let them know what this was. And so at that point, we brought on that next set and then we were ready for phase three, which was our biggest one. That was with about 650 employees. So about 100 the first time, 250, and then up to 650. So we're nearly doubling, tripling as we went. And with that, we needed to be ready for support, greater support calls. Uh, We needed to have everything really well-oiled. So in the end, that process of working with the managers first really did help us with that change that we were looking for. Uh, Speaking to project phases, uh, this project followed standard methodology. So we started with planning, we moved into execution, and then we had closure at the end. So that was everything from uh, lessons learned from all of our teams. And the lessons learned actually happened after each phase. So we're making sure that we were taking everything that we were learning as we went and brought them into the next phase or rollout. Satisfaction surveys. We wanted to make sure that we heard back from our employees around the information they received, how it was working for them. Um, we did follow-ups with them. And then we did a celebration at the end to celebrate our success. And that was uh, an important part for us to come together and see that we realized our goal that, that we had set out to accomplish an entire year earlier. A lot of us haven't gotten to the point of basically Implementation of MFAs, and you probably saw that as you witnessed many of us at your sessions at site, me included, because we have yet to find a way to understand the scope. So how did you guys create parameters that would lead to a successful project so you could celebrate at the end, as you stated? That's a great question. Uh, one, One tool that really helped us is a project charter. And what we do in, in this project in particular, we came together for just brainstorm sessions. And we use a template or a worksheet that we have, it's in Word, but basically we go through the the project charter and we start to consider all of the different elements of the project. So who's going to be working on this project? What is our our description, our goal of the project? Um, What is the scope? What are we going to deliver? How does this align with our goals? What are our objectives that are measurable? So when we're done at the end, we can go back and, and see that we achieve those. And we also outline the risks. So that's not just a one and done process. It takes several iterations. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when you're brainstorming a risk, like, oh, what if it doesn't go to the right house address? Then we start coming up with things to do to, to make sure that we can mitigate that. So through that process of going through this, we were able to 
finally refine our scope and get it to exactly what we wanted. So sometimes you start with what you think is the scope and you think you're done, but really it's through all of this thinking about all these different things and and bringing in lots of people to help you brainstorm really helps give you that big picture. So ultimately what we like to do is we like to list what is in scope and what's out of scope. And I think that's a little bit new for us is to put that out of scope, but that really helps define what we are going to do and what we're not. So for our project, it resulted in us determining this is only for permanent employees. We're not going to do our limited term, our substitutes, all of, we're going we're gonna to wait for that. So that was one aspect. We decided that it's only for computer using permanent employees. So now we've got a number of people. Then we've got, are we going to secure which apps exactly? So we narrowed it down for us. It was Office 365, ServiceNow, which is our help desk intake system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then Monday.com. So we, we figured out that's in scope, out of scope. We decided no for Google Suite. We're not ready for that yet. And our SIS and our ERP systems out of scope. And then it was around what is our solution that we're using? What's our goal? And like I mentioned earlier, it was to deliver one USB security key per employee. Mm-hmm. And then, so not two, if they work in different locations, you know, we had to really think through what, what our rules would be and what is in scope. And then we also knew that several employees uh, do use their phones, their mobile phones. And so we needed to think through what that would look like. So we determined that for our scope, employees would be given the option to authenticate using push notifications on their personal mobile mobile devices. So all of that thought work, those brainstorms over multiple sessions and refining really led us to a well-defined scope statement that we stuck to. We didn't introduce new scope that would have derailed our project or make it go a different Mm -hmm. direction. And we were committed to achieving what we set out to do. And what various stakeholders did you have in the process so that you did take uh, input from multiple sources? Mm-hmm. So, like I mentioned, we needed to mail things home. So mm-hmm. part of that was working with our own graphics team who does printing and mailers to find out timelines and you know things that they've seen in the past. We've got awesome support teams. So we, we wanted to make sure that we got feedback from support team leads, our own cybersecurity team was part of the process. And then I think John, Terry, and I were in every single one of those, as well as staff from my office as well. And also our communications department, we we rely on them heavily as well. So they were consulted. And we also we also met with various employee groups, uh, especially our, our management team. They would have monthly meetings. We would come in, discuss what we were doing, what the mm-hmm. goal was, what the impact would be, let them know what they could expect. Then we got their feedback on, well, this doesn't work for us in this situation. So then we were able to make a little course correction for for people who might have been on vacation during our our rollout days or people who were not quite ready uh, because of uh, transitions that they were going through from position to position. Mm -hmm. So we we tried to to be as flexible as we could. uh, So that as we got to deployment day, we were impactful but not impacting so we were we were nothing negative what we were trying to do we're trying to keep it uh, the workflow going trying to wrap my head around of how to translate this to my you know very small district and (laughs) what what pieces you know i'll be 
leading five of those phases and have be the stakeholders for five of those conversations just in my own head and then bring people in to help. But I think like what I'm hearing is, you know, having that clear purpose, defining the scope. I love the idea of out of scope. I was having a tough time trying to figure out what that was, but the way you defined it, Perry, was great. It's just mm-hmm. narrowing it down by user group, narrowing it down by type of employee. I think that really helps to make it something that's manageable and then planning planning the launches where you have a testing group to work out bugs. I think you also mentioned having support ready to go for those who got stuck. I think, you know, I think we we can pair, we can take your model and adapt it in, in a way that's doable for smaller teams. So what were some of the biggest missteps now that you've had time to reflect and <laughs> move on to bigger and better things? I can this pick is, that. That's a this great is the fun part. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love fail question. stories and, and like, especially when you learn from it, I think that makes it so powerful. Exactly. I mean, not proud of the missed steps, but I think it's a very important talk about mm-hmm. it. Gaps in testing polluted our testing environment. We uh, started testing with only my team, five people, four people. And the first day of rollout, we had to pull back because some of the applications, desktop application did not work the way we did it. And so we increased the number of testers to 25 with different devices, different version of operating system and different patch level. So we had to take a big step back and and formalize the uh, testing process. Our distribution of um, hardware token, as Perry talked about, was challenged by incorrect addresses that we had in in our HR system. And some of the staff didn't receive their token, their YubiKey, um, by the the go-live date. So we needed to take extra step to have employees validate their addresses. And also, despite our best effort, we had some misconfigured tokens. We configured the tokens and sent it to them. A little less than 1%, but still, uh, that meant around four, five, six people could not connect on the, on the go-live day. We were initially unaware of the, the applications that some of our users are using in, a non, in non-standard apps to access uh, Office 365 email, especially on their phones. And this was especially concerning because our superintendent was one of them. Uh, so we had to redirect uh, them to our approved app list. We just didn't anticipate this behavior change with our coworkers. So that was uh, uh, something that we had to stress in future rollouts uh, that absolutely you cannot use this app. You've got to use Outlook. That's the approved mm-hmm. app. So uh, the, those that was a tough one uh, when mm-hmm. it hit the superintendent. Additionally, we we really did a great job on our job aids and documentation because some things were sent home, some things were put online, but we had never really considered the the benefit of that really short, quick, here's what it looks like in a quick 30-second video of how you pop the key in. We had some people putting it in upside down because we didn't realize that it just wasn't intuitive that you know this mm-hmm. one piece sticks up and that's where you'd have to touch it. While that was a misstep, we learned that early on, we got some feedback. And so we we made some short instructional videos around how to insert your key, how to tap on your phone if you're going to use those push notifications. And so that was a great lessons learned. And then the other is as we started ramping up for that big rollout, we knew that we were going to have possibly a lot of calls and a lot of needs for, for support. 
And I think we learned that with the manager one that we could do a better job with how to make sure that our support teams were equipped and that we had a really solid process for intake. You know, how much time is it going to take before we get back to the staff member? What's the hotline process? What are we doing after hours? How do we escalate? How do we track all of that? We got better that at that as we went. And by the that last go live, we 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 were there. So it was just a little bit of a painful process along the way, I would say. I think the biggest question most listeners want to know is what was the final outcome of this project? Great, great question, Jamal. The outcome is zero account compromise so far since we have uh, implemented MFA. Before the MFA, we were averaging two account compromise per month, as I mentioned before, and that consumed a lot of our staff time. Our support Mm -hmm. staff had to get the user machines and re-image it. We had to make sure all the passwords are changed and look to see if any other system were compromised as the result of this and the whole slew of things that we, we go through in our playbook. It was also an uh, inconvenience for our end users. They were working remote and they had to bring their device in to get a loaner and then give us some time to re-image it and then come back again and pick up their device. So it was very time consuming for them. I see that as a big win, not only not getting our account compromised, also saving time for our employees. Just to add the the introduction of MFA into the environment, while we thought that there could be some pushback from various uh, employee groups, the final outcome was acceptance, uh, the understanding that this was important. We still have a little bit of back and forth on, well, I wish you would authenticate me for more than just 24 hours on this type of device. Uh, as a, you know, that, that's inconvenient, but the fact is everyone's using it. They're not trying to bypass it. We're having some good success with that, and we're ready to start rolling out, looking at uh, those additional phases that Perry mentioned going into uh, our Google Space and some other of our apps. One thing we learned from our survey that we put out, and we we did this after each deployment and then consolidated, is that they reported that the solution we came up with was easy to use. And that was one of our objectives and success criteria that we had listed at the beginning, is we wanted something that really wouldn't detract or take too much away from the work. So that was, a, I think, a really great success we had. And the confidence that they would be supported. And so we we did get feedback that MFA questions and issues were answered and uh, responded to not only in a timely fashion, but in a friendly way and an encouraging mm-hmm. way. And then one other thing that, that was an outcome is we asked our own project team because we had a lot of people on this team from lots of different areas, not only within uh, cybersecurity, but like I mentioned, our graphics team, our support teams, our communications group. And we asked them, what were you proud of? And so some things that bubbled up were taking ownership, meeting all deadlines, teamwork, collaboration. So it it was a really great feeling to, this was a very challenging project. It it, it was hard, I'm gonna say that. For me, of all the projects I've done in the last three years, this was the hardest one. And I think it was because it's so much of a changing the culture and changing how people work type of project, changing, you know, the, how, how we do things. So that communication and making sure that we were uh, real tight with how we operated was, was very important. So th- we had uh, those types of successes too on our project team. When did you guys begin the project? Year, month? Was it before the pandemic or in the midst of the pandemic? 
in the midst of the pandemic. It was basically oh, yeah. all it, it, all of 2021, basically. Yeah. So yeah, you build bonds when you're in the trenches together for sure. So uh, yeah, that was a big task for sure. Wow. We did the same thing with our forklift upgrade of all of our telephony to Teams. That was at the start of the pandemic. That bonding occurred early. So we, we just continued to build on it. Wow. <laughs> I think anyone listening can take comfort in the part of your project that was, again, your number one goal was mailing home these tokens. Really doesn't have to be part of the process for anybody getting ready to take this on. So you're, you're they're not going to have the wrong addresses and all of those pieces because you hopefully do have the humans in your offices and your classrooms. And so at least that part, that part can we can learn from your your lessons. And next pandemic, if we decide to launch something like this, we we have the blueprint. <laughs> One thing that you said that I really think is important to highlight is that concept of just uh, Perry, you mentioned just being able to plug in the YubiKey correctly. Mm-hmm. It, from the little bit of research I've done on change management, I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on kind of either the protocols you follow, but this concept of kind of what we assume people know. And so making sure they have knowledge, but also have ability. And I think that's what you were kind of getting to is that you might've had an assumption that of course, everybody knows how to plug in a USB stick, but they may not be something that they use all the time. And so having the directional uh, piece correct. And so that's one of those missteps that we can learn from is really just think through all the steps and be really deliberate in what you're training on. But then there's that second piece of, okay, they have the knowledge, can they actually do it? Um, so I don't know if there's anything else that you learned related to kind of that concept of knowledge and ability throughout the project that you could share. Sure. I'm looking at our project charter right here, actually. And when we outlined what this project was, there's a statement here that I think is something that we really stuck to. It says a significant component of this project is communication and organizational change management. And what we realized up front was the the human aspect of this project. So we we really put a lot of emphasis and effort into not only one-way communication, but two-way communication with our employees. We used a model that PMI, the Project Management Institute, has around OCM, but really it's got five parts. So it's sponsor engagement, coaching, communication, training, and resistance management. And what we did is we mapped that back to how it fits into the project charter. So like identifying your sponsor and knowing what the sponsor's role is, that's just, that's something that we did to make sure that we had that engagement taking advantage of champions or department leads that helps with the organizational transformation, Uh, the communication piece that can happen in so many ways. So how are we communicating? When are we communicating? How is it one way and two way? How will we measure that? So, and how does that get built into the schedule? Not as a one-time event, but kind of woven throughout. What does training look like? Who, who's delivering any documentation, videos? How are we measuring that? And then for the resistance management, we really looked at the risks section of the charter up front to figure out uh, where could that come in and, and how can we mitigate that? Ultimately, having the support of our cabinet was really important. Mm-hmm. Terry, you know, 100%, 150% was invested in this and helped uh, guide us and shape the project. Like I mentioned earlier, getting that manager support and buy-in early on before their staff came on was really helpful for us. Working with bargaining units, talking to our legal team about the mobile phone use. I mean, there was a lot of work done there. Providing information on our intranet so people could go find it easily, those training videos, uh, electronic materials, 
sending things home. Uh, we had a, a why MFA video. So this wasn't even an instructional one. This was to help reinforce why we're doing this, to help shift the, the focus from, you know, I can't do it the way I used to, but oh, this is why we're doing it. And it gave greater uh, impact and purpose. We went out and did road shows. We did manager meetings. We did uh, staff training presentations where there's a Q&A component. So really, I, I, I strongly believe had we not done those things, it, we would have had a, a, a rockier project. And so building in all of those opportunities to um, make sure that we had the support and then to engage with our employees really benefited us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I think just if I'm reflecting on projects that have not gone as well at, that I've liked, I think communication is an obvious one to point out, but it's that it's building that trust between the groups of built on, this is what we're doing and why do you have input? And then did we deliver on those agreements that we made together? You know, this is, this is going to help you because, or this is important to the organization because I'm explaining that and having those conversations is huge. I think so often our poor educators, we just, in the tech department, we come up with a great idea and it's going to be amazing. And then we launch it and it falls flat and we're like, why did that happen? Um, just didn't get the buy-in. So kind of summing up our, our chat about MFA, what are the immediate next steps? John, you alluded to a little bit, but maybe just straight stating what are with, with that phase of the project being done, are you looking at the out of scope pieces? Are you thinking of adding on new systems? What's on the roadmap for you? Uh, so we're actively working on uh, uh, incorporating uh, two of our Google domains, uh, one that's used by our juvenile court community school system and the other that is used by permanent SDCOE staff. One does not have email associated with it. That's the one that our, our internal staff uses. It's going to be a little bit easier, but we've got to shift the identity provider so that we're all working from the same uh, login. The challenge will be in the JCCS uh, area that we've got, to, we've got to come up with some solutions there. But we're also looking at enhancing uh, some of the settings that we have we haven't talked about the product, but we, we yeah, it's not an endorsement, but we went with Duo. And so there are some policies in Duo that we decided not to implement immediately with regard to workstation quality. Do they have their patches? Are they too far behind on operating system versions? That'll be the next phase to begin deploying that. We deferred it because we have also a complete tech refresh underway right now, replacing everyone's desktop and laptop computer with a brand new one. And so we, we, we wanted to wait until that was completed before putting in these, uh, these additional uh, barriers or controls so that uh, we're, we're less disruptive to the workforce. Our help desk is already overwhelmed with, uh, with what they have to do right now. So we're trying to be gentle on them. I think I, I preface my other question that it was the biggest question most listeners want to know, but also this is a pretty big one. How? Because... <laughs> In our lens, when, like Jamie was stating, when we want to implement something, you already can anticipate the pushback you're going to receive from various stakeholders, whether it's bargaining units, whether it's staff, uh, at various levels. Uh, and one of the common pushbacks we hear is, uh, I don't want anything work-related on my personal phone. How did you guys basically go into just implementing this uh, as far as how did you how did you address it? I know Perry touched on just communication, which is key with everything. But how did you guys, I guess, get buy-in, whether from your own team, internal team, and and those those negative Nancys that you may often run into at your your, your districts? 
let me address the specifics of, of the phone use. This is why we, we uh, made a, a very strategic decision to purchase the hardware tokens for every staff member and wanted to get those distributed. Our communication to all staff was, you will authenticate with the hardware token that we're going to provide. Uh, we are not asking you to use your phone. We are not requiring you to use your phone. However, we did make it available as an option. So two things we did. We created a, uh, a, a service request in ServiceNow, working with our legal department. That was basically an opt-in form that if any employee wanted to use the, the uh, authenticator app on their phone, they would have to assent to, yes, I'm using my personal phone. I will not be remunerated for any usage charges. You know, the app does have some means of looking at some data on my phone. I acknowledge that. And so they had to go through a, you know, several steps to say, I, I want to use my phone. I agree. I will not hold the uh, SDCOE liable. That went a long way because the use of personal phones, especially with some of our bargaining units, uh, has been, okay, well, I, I demand a stipend. Uh, I, want, I want to be paid to use my phone. And it's subject to annual negotiation, quite frankly. So we wanted to avoid that as much as possible. So th that that's how we we got around the personal privacy on a phone. It's strictly your option. We also put a caveat in there, and part of the agreement was if you wish to use any of the uh, mobile apps, either for iOS or Android, to access your Office 365, whether it's you know, Office documents, email, whatever, uh, you must use MFA and you must use the the token, or excuse me, the uh, uh, the the app, the Authenticator app. But it's your choice because you've, you've made the decision to use your phone for that purpose and you're subject to all of our data privacy requirements. So that went over okay. I mean, it, 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 took, a, it took a couple of conversations. Again, it went back to, well, I don't want to use Outlook. I want to use the app I've been using for email. So no, this one provides the controls. This is why we're doing it. And you know, we, you know, again, it's your choice. You don't have to, we, you don't have to use the email uh, on your phone. So uh, that was one. But in, in the broader context, you know, we started our conversations with the organization with a imagine a day approach uh, where we gave our statement of vision of what we wanted to do with MFA. And, and in that, we extolled the benefits of MFA. We did put a lot of effort into making us as personal as possible. Uh, it's your data. It's your social security number. It's your payroll information and your paycheck. Um, that's what we're protecting. That's what you're protecting. And so early in the planning, we tried to envision what all of the opposition to MFA would look like and, and, and covered as much as possible in our preliminary discussions with our employee groups. So that I think that encapsulates just about what, what we did to, uh, to, to really uh, try to mitigate that opposition because we knew it would come. We knew it was coming. And I think with our phased approach, starting with ITS, where it was an employee group that we have greater control over with the managers mm -hmm. and our own classified staff, we were able to demonstrate and model for others. It works. It's not intrusive. You don't need to use your phone. You know, the the the, the USB stick works just fine for most things, and uh, you know th that really helped build the support. I think we did some other things in organizational communication management. Uh, Perry, if you want to touch on a little bit more of that. Sure. Yeah, I think all of those. Tactics and strategies we I mentioned earlier, I think all of that really contributed to people feeling heard, understanding what was happening. It wasn't like they were caught off guard. I, there was a lot of 
varied communication and opportunities to understand what this was. And I do want to credit our cybersecurity team, Ellie. I think your team has done a great job with helping our organization know what cybersecurity is these last several years. There's been an education program around it. We do these simulated phishing attacks. Every October, we have these cybersecurity activities. So this, to me, felt like a natural progression in what we're doing with cybersecurity. It wasn't the first time anyone's hearing about it. It's another layer that we were adding on. And there will be more layers to come. And, you know, we've got our CIS controls to implement and other things. So it's part of that that entire roadmap for cyber that we're on. I think that's such a good point because you can't launch MFA if you haven't been talking about cybersecurity yes. with your organization. I mean, maybe that's the headline of this episode, right? Like this shouldn't be the first thing you do. I like the idea of the, the phishing tests and the cybersecurity awareness month. Like those are the pieces that lay the groundwork. I also think, you know, helping teams look to a sort of an implementation of this. We do have a culture of MFA existing in the personal world for a lot of people. So drawing on their experiences with banking or other personal services, I yes. think is a good way to connect the dots. But I also yes. want to go back to what John said a couple of minutes ago. Like that was a gold nugget of information. We are doing this to protect your data. Like that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Really, really strong. I, I wrote wrote that down immediately. So that'll be part of our planning. <laughs> Is there any other advice you can offer teams to get started as we start to wrap up our conversation today? What are, what are those kind of big takeaways that you can, you can offer? I think any organization can, if you have nothing, start small. I mean, look at your, your, your probably most vulnerable group, which would probably be those that have privileges, system administrators, and look at what you can do to just institute an MFA for them um, and, and make that your building block and, and just get started. We as an organization have, have produced a lot of resources over the last year, uh, many of that we've made available. We just did a, a, uh, a workshop for uh, the uh, Technology Steering Committee of Sucesa, and uh, we have our materials from last year's site conference available. Absolutely, feel free to contact us and we can point you in the right direction to get access to those materials. But, you know, that was a four-hour workshop encapsulating our entire project and recommendations. And that was working with San Bernardino and what was the other county office? I'm sorry. San Joaquin. San Joaquin. Thank you. Great materials there to help you get started and get her done, you know. <laughs> Speaking of workshops, I've seen your invites for your summer workshops, which look amazing. Um what was the inspiration behind them and what can the attendees expect? We have a project management workshop coming up. It's actually a project management conference. It's our first one that we're offering. It's called the K-12 Project Management Conference. It's end of June. It's virtual. What we've started to see recently is an appetite for this conversation in mm -hmm. K-12 NIT. And perhaps previously we saw project management as something that someone with a particular job title needed to do. But now we're realizing there's a lot of ways that we can take the project management methodology and use it for all sizes of projects to help us be successful. So really that's what this, this conference is about. It's meant to help everyone in K-12 IT focus on how to plan, execute and close their projects, providing templates, tips, strategies. We're really excited. We've got 17 local school districts and charter schools from San Diego County presenting their voice and their ideas on day two. And day one will be my office. So project managers sharing out more of an instructional set of lessons to help people understand what's occurring in each of those phases. And we want to make it fun too. So games are embedded and, and interaction. And really the goal here is just to start 
bring that community out in our K-12 with our colleagues and start talking about this and, and, and seeing it as something that's integral to the work that we do. Sandy, your team, this has been an amazing episode. I'm so excited by what you were able to share and again, have another page of notes and really good starting places on how to tackle MFA, but also how to think about project management. So I appreciate the lessons you shared, being vulnerable and sharing your failures and how you learn from them. I think that's amazing. So as we close out, I have one final question for you. This is our Would You Rather. And so my Would You Rather question is, would you rather drive Lewis Hamilton's F1 car or Max Verstappen's F1 car? And I'm actually just kidding. That was just for Terry Loftus. I have a different question for you. So shout out to Terry. I was starting to have uh, heart palpitations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, I hope you're listening. Uh, no. So my question for you is, would you rather spend one month on the International Space Station or one month anywhere on planet Earth? And you have to tell us where you'd stay if you do not pick the space station. Space station it is. Excellent. <laughs> Planet Earth. I, I know my wife and I would, would love to spend a month in Sardinia. Cool. I'm going to go with Space Station. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> Take it's all there. inclusive. Yes. All inclusive, right? <laughs> to me, I get home. I know when I went to France when I was 16, I got homesick after two weeks. So uh, <laughs> space is way too far. <laughs> Only 180 miles. <laughs> <laughs> So I would say somewhere in California, maybe where the Redwoods, Northern California, something like that, you know, with nature. Amazing. Thank you all so much for a wonderful episode. And I look forward to learning from you in future sessions. Uh, I'll, I'll be sure to stalk you and hopefully be able to join your conference. Wonderful. Thank you so Thank you. much. Thank, Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamal. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.